The Rigger Gambling Feed is back every Monday. Join myself, Joe House, Raheem Palmer, and John Drzebski for East Coast Bias Sunday's action recap and our favorite bets for Monday Night Football. Then on Tuesday, we got the Roster Diamond Show where I'll break down everything you need to know in the betting world. Plus, the East Coast Bias Boys will be back on Thursday to help you get your betting card sorted ahead of all the NFL action. And then on Fridays, it's me back with Warren Sharp, deep diving into the analytics. So be sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To extra point taking Shield Kapadia here, joined by Ben Solak. After Monday night football, the Seattle Seahawks go to MetLife Stadium and pound Daniel Jones. Let's see, I I, I lost track. I think 10, 10 sacks on uh 11. 11 what no it was 10. Troy got hit 11 times against Buddy Ryan's uh Eagles team. That's why that's in your head. I think the box score is showing me 10. The Seahawks, Seahawks defense was dominant tonight. 11 sacks, three takeaways, three points allowed, 3.4 yards okay. per play allowed. We were both right. Paris Campbell took one sack. So Daniel Jones was sacked oh. 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> Very sneaky. Paris Campbell for the 11 sack. You always forget about the wide receiver sack. That's how they get you. What a start. What a start to the show. Uh, Seahawks win 24-3, beat the Giants. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about all the action in week four in the NFL. Ben Solak. How are we doing now that you know how many times the uh, the Giants were sacked tonight? You feeling good? I'm, I'm feeling great. I, this is good because I wanted to check and see just how many games we have in history of a quarterback throwing uh, two interceptions and getting sacked 11 times. And then I had to go back and change it to make sure it was, it was uh, throwing two picks but getting sacked only 10 times. And it's a much bigger list, sadly. It's not as fun as it was. Uh, so yeah, games in, in StatHead's uh, um, database 10 plus sacks and two plus interceptions. There's only 17 of them. And there's only one that's happened in a year that starts with a two. Uh, John mm. Beck, who I now believe is like a quarterback coach, like a private quarterback coach. I think and that's like, right. Is pretty good at it. Uh, had, had a 10 sack two pit game uh, against Washington. Or excuse me, as Washington quarterback against Buffalo. Before that, the most recent was 1992 Bernie Kosar. So something we've only seen twice in my lifetime. All right. This is like a comet or something. Uh, Daniel Jones, 10 plus sacks and two plus interceptions. Not the best day in the office, Shiel. Uh, My first take of the show, which is supposed to be off of uh, the game that we just watched, is one that I've had previously, but remains uh, uh, um, uh, uh, every Daniel Jones game is a good reminder of it. This was the easiest franchise tag decision in history, (laughs) and the Giants totally bungled it. And uh, and, and I want to do this in a way that is fair to Daniel Jones. Over the course of his career before Brian Dable, Jones at times looked like a, an interesting starting quarterback. He always was like a, a low-end starting quarterback because he has some accuracy, but like he could throw it deep and like he would hit Darius Slayton on these bombs. He'd be like, oh, more of that. And then he would he would run, he would tuck and run. He was a good athlete outside of the pocket. He'd go, oh, more of that. And then Brian Dable comes in, Daniel Jones contract year, and they start Daniel Jones, and Dable's got this guy moving outside of the pocket more and more designed runs and they have the option game and they're throwing the ball shallower and it's it's like a quick passing game, but like the wide receivers aren't that good. So maybe that's part of it. The offensive line's not that good. So maybe that's part of it. And then you get this season where they end up, a, a, I believe it was nine, seven and one. Their final record was, but they go to the postseason, They beat the Vikings. They had a playoff win under their belt and you enter the season feeling like, all right, like we did something on offense with this guy that we weren't sure we could do anything with. But when you went, but, with that being his full body of work and with the franchise tag being available to him, this is a perfect spot. You have a first, he was a first year head coach with a guy who's productive in just one season. It, it could not have possibly have screamed louder. This could have been a one-off. This could be a, a, a spike year. This could, we, we, we caught the league by surprise. This is the exact environment in which you use the tag and you say, all right, offensive line's going to get a little better. Receivers are going to get a little better. And now we'll figure out if Daniel Jones can really do this year over year. And then even in an eventuality like the one in which we have arrived, where offensive line injuries have made the unit completely and totally untenable. Like, no one's looking good back there, right, right behind the Giants' offensive line. Even in that moment, you could still say, all right, we're not learning anything about Daniel Jones, but good thing we didn't commit to him for more than a season. This was yeah. the, this is, like, the franchise tag is not a good thing 
for players, and I don't like that the franchise tag exists. But if there was a reason the franchise tag was made, it was for this exact Daniel Jones contract situation. And the fact that the Giants let things get to the 11th hour, gave Daniel Jones the contract that they gave him, which they're not getting out of that after year one. That's a two-year contract at minimum. Mm -hmm. And then did what like burned whatever bridge they did with Saquon Barkley by giving him the tag and then dealing with that whole contract negotiation is I think an egregious error for Joe Shane who largely I think has done a nice job with, with the Giants I think that that was as big a swing of a miss as I can remember such an easy franchise tag choice such a big blunder it's like if they taught a course in high school or college you know about like NFL economics and we're like here's the franchise tag here's a situation where you would use it Right. This would precisely be the exact situation where you would use it. And this isn't revisionist history. I mean, we we were talking about this all offseason. I think we were on the same page. I thought that's what they were going to do. Everyone I talked to thought that that's what they were going to do uh, because it seemed so simple. So listen, they're tied in for more money. They're tied in uh, for an extra year here with Daniel Jones, not just this year, but next year. It's not like they're tied in for, you know, four or five years or anything like that when you look at the guaranteed money. Uh, but I'm with you there. I mean, I look at this and and just to keep talking about the Giants here for a minute like this you know Brian Dayball won coach of the year last year it's actually this is like a good reminder as I was watching this and you know we're gonna have some takes on coaches we think are doing a good job and a bad job later in the show like he was coach of the year last year is there a more unprepared team in the NFL this year they've been outscored mistake absolutely how about this first half Ben 68 points they've been outscored by 68 points in the first half. That's tied for the worst first half point differential through four weeks since at least 2000. That's as far back as true media. No team in the first half of the first four games have been outscored by more points since at least 2000. They are minus 76 on the season, Ben. Where do you think that ranks? If you haven't seen my tweet yet. It's last, right? It's last. This is yeah. worse than this is worse than a Bronco. Broncos got outscored by, by fifty points. Yeah, and the Giants still have a. <laughs> all I the, the first thing I did was I was like, all right, Broncos were close to the Commanders. <laughs> obviously, beat the Bears. The Bears were close to the Broncos. I think probably yeah, it's the Giants. I mean, at home they put up the the score. It, it's they, yeah. they're, they're down sixty four to three in two home games. That's abysmal. If you take out the two game the two the the half against the Cardinals, this offense scored three points in ten quarters wow. of football. Holy cow. That, I mean, that is... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, brother. That, that ain't it. Yeah, that that ain't it. Uh, you know, there's more than 14 by 14 more points than the Chicago Bears, who, you know, everyone just makes fun of all the time and mostly for good reason. The Giants have been outscored by 14 more points than the Bears. So it, somebody has to take the... I mean, you mentioned you think Joe Shane has done a good job. I mean... Like I was going back and forth during this game and they've had some injuries. Don't get me wrong. They had at least a, you know, a couple offensive linemen out, including Andrew Thomas, but the offensive line stinks. Uh, you look at the pat. I remember thinking going into the season, this is what they did with this pass catching group. Like these are all the upgrades that they've made to this group. Like that's not enough from last year. Defensively uh, tonight, they were pretty good, but during the whole season, they haven't been very good there. So you just look at it. It's like talent deficit, not well coached, not well prepared from a front office perspective, not managed well. And there aren't many teams that I would say their fan base feels like as different as maybe a Giants fan does from the end of last season to where you are through four weeks into the season? I mean, is there another fan base that kind of probably feels as differently about their team and their organization? I don't know. It would be a short list for sure, I think. Bears, yes. some Bears fans for sure, I think, yeah. are there. Bengals fans, but like is injury stuff? I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, Bengals fans, you're saying, all right, this might be our year from hell, but we like you're, long term, it's different. I have another fan base that I will p- pitch as one such fan okay. base. But that's for that's for a later take. That that's called foreshadowing. There, shield, a little podcasting okay. tool, keep the listeners engaged. All right, catch that. It's pro, pro stuff. There you go. All right, so that's the Giants. I'm I'm glad you. Uh, I do think the Giants were the story tonight in this game. Real quick, let's just give the uh, give the Seahawks some credit. I mean, Devon Witherspoon, what a night. Shield, I'm going to tell this to you. You're probably going to make fun of me. I don't care. I started going back and just watching Illinois highlights of Devon Witherspoon in the middle <laughs> of this game. I just clicked him up, found him on YouTube. Nice seven-minute compilation. Stepping down, hitting on screens, making sacks, yeah. hawking the ball in cover two. Uh, as fun of a player to watch as there is in the league already. Just what a joy. He's got such, such vibes. He's such a fun corner. Love Witherspoon. Three QB hits, two sacks, had the pick six. 
seven tackles. I mean, he was everywhere in this game. I mean, this Seahawks defense has not been a great defense. That's another thing. If you're a Giants fan, you're like, shoot, we gave up 10 sacks to them. Like what's going to happen when we face some really good pass rushes here? So uh, their defense came up, uh, came up big tonight. Seattle offensively, it was an uneven performance. Geno Smith gets injured, goes out, comes back in the game. Uh, They really didn't need to have to do a whole lot offensively here, but they were very good offensively through the first three weeks of the season. So hopefully Geno is fine. Uh, uh, and they keep rolling. I was panicking about this team after week one. Uh, and since they've won three in a row, they're three and yeah. one. Uh, they just want to kind of be in the mix here. They've won the last two games here by a total of 31 points. Uh, not good teams, the Panthers and the Giants, but still yeah. uh, they beat the Lions before that. So yeah, you're feeling good as long as Gino is healthy there uh, if you're a Seahawks fan. And I tell you, I um, like... I understand the front seven is not a particularly terrifying group. Bobby, Bobby Wagner, by the way, had like 20 tackles today, I think. Bobby just eating in the middle of the defense. Love it, love it for, for the old fella. Uh, so I gather the front seven's not that great. Offensive line injuries, right? They had more injuries in this game. There's like rotating starters in there. So like right now, this isn't true, but really, I, I still believe this. I believe this in summer. I believe it uh, still now. This is not going to be the sort of team that you're going to want to play in January. Like they, they're, they're, an offense that can just dump 35 on you when the, when the, when they're hitting, right? And that's running and throwing the football, right? They have explosive running game. They have multiple tight end sets. And then they have enough wide receiver talent. And Geno's good enough to spread and shred you. And then defensively, again, they're not perfect, but they make plays, man. I mean, that 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 secondary they really were has. Yeah. Yeah. That secondary has the talent to like flip a game by 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 getting a, by getting a turnover by making some stops by being real sticky. Like I get like Seahawks are far from a perfect team. There's there's ways to beat them. They're well documented. You run the football on this team, no problem. But I, this is the sort of team that when we get to January, it's just like their their peak games are really 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 tough to stop. They have some impressive playmakers. They're gonna be hard out. But when we get to playoff football, I believe that. Yeah, they can win in different ways. Jamal Adams came back tonight and then left. We don't know what his uh, status is going to be. Yeah, they're down. I mean, in this game, they're down three offensive line starters. So if you're a Giants fan saying, hey, you didn't get, you didn't talk enough about how we were injured on the offensive line, the Seahawks were literally down three offensive line starters uh, in this game, and they still win that game by three touchdowns. So credit to them. All right, my first take here. Benjamin, I was joking with you before I formulated this take. I got it all ready. And then I looked and I said, I went on the ringer.com and check out Ben's column, uh, the hot read. Everyone check it out every Monday morning. I said, oh, Ben, Ben agrees with me on this take. Ben pretty much had the exact same take, but listen, I got to talk about it anyway. And that's that. This is the best version of Josh, Josh Allen we've ever seen. I know Nora and Steven talked about uh, this game on dual threat, but I was like, I got to talk about this game because the Bills come into the season. We do that show after Bills Jets Monday Night Football week one. It leaves kind of a bad taste in your mouth when you think about Buffalo and their 2023 season. After that, no one's really paying much attention. They kind of deliver beatdowns to the commanders and the Raiders, but uh, you know, no one's really paying too much attention to those games. And then they have this marquee matchup against Miami on Sunday afternoon in Buffalo. And really, if you look at since that Jets game, to me, I think Josh Allen has been the best player in football. You look at what this team has done since that first game. And on Sunday, it was a blend of the conversation. How many times have we had it at this point? 17? Like the version of Josh Allen, the style, what we want to see, what's the most effective Josh Allen. This is definitely a topic mm-hmm. that comes up a lot because the Bills have been a really good team. And it's, well, should he you know, be taking more of the layups and taking what the defense gives him? Or no, should he just be doing Josh Allen things? Because that's where he thrives. This was like the beautiful blend. Like if you're Sean McDermott, if you're Ken Dorsey and you're drawing up, how exactly do we want it to look? At least that's how I felt. I'm curious to hear how you feel about it. I felt it was a nice blend of take the layups, make the easy throws, and then also do the Josh Allen stuff. Like at first I thought the theme was going to be he's doing all the easy stuff, Ben. And then they had the drive where he's handing the, he hands the ball off to uh, James Cook. They nearly fumble it, and then he decides, you know what? I'm just going to do an impromptu tush push on James Cook, and I'm just going to get low here and try to, <laughs> try to charge him into the end zone. Not many quarterbacks you see in the NFL doing that. He's got that. He's got the improv touchdown to Stephon Diggs. He's got the 48-yard completion to James Cook down the right sideline where Tony Romo is literally yelling, throw it away. And Josh Allen's like, no, thank you. I'm just going to keep this baby alive and come up with yep. a 48-yard completion. So right now, Josh Allen 
is completing 74.8% of his passes. I mean, do you remember the accuracy issues this man had coming into the league? It's unbelievable. This is, we've never seen anything like this. This would break Drew Brees's, I'm not saying he's going to maintain it. If he did, it would literally break Drew Brees's record for completion percentage from 2018. This is 11 percentage points higher than last year and higher than his career average. And then you kind of zoom out and you look at this Bills team. Based on all the advanced stats, this is easily the best Bills offense we've seen. Now, it's a four-game sample. EPA per drive, they're scoring 33 points per game. They've scored 37 or more in three straight games. Uh, This is a team to be reckoned with. I think Josh Allen is obviously at the heart of it. Uh, He does more, I think, for his offense than maybe any other player in the NFL. And I thought that was kind of just to steal a word from Pete Carroll since the Seahawks won tonight. Just a beautiful illustration of what what Josh Allen can be. I know you agree because you wrote about it. Yeah, so I I couldn't agree more talking about that blend, right? That idea of... uh, you got to let the Bronco buck. That's what makes Josh Allen special. Mm, I like that. See, you got away with words for a young fella. You you paid attention in all so your... I, where, Bronco, where does this vocabulary come from? I'm sorry to get sidetracked. No, I need to know. I, like, were you like 12 and just <laughs> throwing this stuff out? I mean, were you? did you study it in school? Did you read... Like, where does this tremendous vocabulary come from? I, need I to appreciate know. that. I was literally about to give credit because my, my old uh, podcasting co-host of many, many years ago, also bald, uh, Michael Kist was a big fan of saying letting the Bronco buck. And the thing for me is like, I just love the way things sound. And so when someone says mm. something cool, I collect that, I keep that, and I I, I integrate it. Like I just, I have so many like down southy folksy idioms and I'm just not from there at all. But they just sound so cool that I just steal them. I just straight graft them, which is not good. It's appropriation, but it, 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 uh-huh. it, it's fun how it sounds. So yeah, you gotta let all the right. Bronco buck. When I wrote, when there I wrote about when I wrote about Josh Allen for, for the hot reading of the column, I wrote about bottled lightnings. That's what it is, right? Is it's saying like, we know this guy's always going to have this explosive potential. He's always going to have, at, at any time, he could rip off a play that nobody else in the league except for 15 could rip off. And that play is going to keep us alive for, for life forever. It's gonna, that's going to give us an advantage that nobody else has. But we can't ask him to do it on every play because the cost is too great, right? It's too dangerous. It's too explosive. There's risk. There's there, there's there's consequence. You brought up the play where uh, Allen's running to his right, James Cook on the wheel down the sideline, Tony saying, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. And he throws it to Cook and it's an explosive gain. There's a play, a, a few plays after that one, where Allen's scrambling out of his pocket, out of the pocket to his left. He has a potential throw into the end zone. They're at about like the 25 30. And he's moving to his left. So you'd have to flip his hips. There's a sinking defender. And you can watch him think about it, think about it, think about it, and then just tuck the football and get the second and eight. And that play for me was like, yes. Because I came on this podcast after that week one Jets game so in, like inflamed, so impassioned about being like, Josh, just don't do this. There's just no need for you to play this way. And I, and I came down hard on him and I was frustrated because I knew that he could do this, right? That's what it was. Is like there, there's a lot of I've I've seen a lot of stuff after this Dolphins game of uh, uh, people in the media and people in the NFL being like, oh, everybody wrote off Josh Allen after the Jets game week one. We didn't write him off. We came down on him because he's not supposed to behave this way. And we know that when he behaves better, it's the coolest thing in the world. It's the best offense in the league. It's record setting stuff. It's high standard because you can achieve really really incredible things. This game was an example of that. On throws of less than twenty air yards. Josh Allen was successful in this game on over 80% of his dropbacks. Uh, uh, the highest mark of a single game in his career by 10 percentage points. The offense has never been better in structure in the short to intermediate area of the field than it was against the Dolphins, which is an enormous credit to Ken Dorsey, who I think is doing an excellent job getting quick, easy stuff open right away, and also an enormous credit to Josh Allen, who is taking it. He is not denying it. He is not going big game hunting. He's saying, if Dalton Kincaid is going to turn around in the soft spot between zones for six yards, I'm going to take it. We're going to get to second or four. If he does that the rest of the way, he's the leader in MVP odds right now, and rightfully so. I can't stand the whole, oh, everybody wrote out. Like, we talk about what happened every week in the NFL. Right. Like, sometimes you're going to say something and they, they everybody settle down with the everyone wrote off somebody. But uh, no, that's uh, that's well said. Bills are 
plus 84 through four games. That's tops in the NFL. And listen, I'm not saying we've never seen Allen have games that good before. We have. I mean, we all remember that playoff game against the Patriots, the playoff game against the Chiefs. Like, man, he is building quite a resume of just individual, like some of the greatest performances you will see from a quarterback. This one was a little bit different. And also, I think it wasn't just one game. Like, this has been a stretch now uh, of three games. So I think there's still going to be games this season where we'll say, oh, okay, well, the probably didn't need to do that. But uh, overall, if you're a Bills fan, especially after that first game, you have to just feel like, sorry, everyone's bored with us. But guess what? We might win the Super Bowl this year. We're contenders once again. We're one of the best teams in the NFL once again. And our quarterback is playing great. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll get to your second take. All right, we are back on Extra Point Taken. Benny Souls, what do you got? What's your second take of the night? Uh, as I said in our giant section, I think there's a fan base that's expectations before the season, into the season are recalibrated. That mm. fan base is the Rams. And I think that mm. I, I, I'm willing to say four weeks into the season, successful season for the Rams. Win. <laughs> great, great stuff. We won. Good season. Everything else is coasted. It's all cake on top. Here's why, Shield. Because you and I were doing bold predictions for the NFL season like two months ago. <laughs> no, no, no. That, Let's not bring these up. Shh. Yeah. That never happened. Move on. And and all the <laughs> all we wanted to talk about, because it's the most fun thing to talk about, <laughs> is where Sean McVay was going to be employed in 2024. Sean McVay very openly flirted with the idea of retirement uh, off of the Rams Super Bowl season following 2021 and into the 2022 season, where... The Rams really sucked. They were really bad. It was it was not good. And Matthew Stafford, who was 35 years old, had back issues and he had elbow issues and all the talent was leaving. And as McVay, he's talked about this. But again, like he's, he's said these things. This is not reading between the lines. He has been explicit about this. McVay was losing and hated it and didn't know what to do with himself. Just didn't like, feel good. Like his his general life experience was a negative one. Entering this season, he he was you know uh, viewing the job with renewal, uh, was reinvigorated, and was ready to 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 change his paradigm of NFL coaching to like not just if I win a Super Bowl I'll be happy. It's like I need to be happy doing this without like a Super Bowl potential. But as beautiful of an idea as that is, I was really worried entering the year. And I think many Rams fans were very worried entering the year that the Rams are just going to lose a lot of games. I gave out on this pod Rams under six and a half wins for the season. And that Sean McVay was going to hate that and that Aaron Donald was going to retire and that Matthew Stafford's body was going to continue to deteriorate and McVay was going to be gone and the Rams are going to be left holding the bag. The Rams are all right. This is pretty cool. I mean, we're like, okay, like are, are the Rams the best team in the league? No, they're going to make the playoffs. Probably not. The Rams offense is working. Matthew Stafford right now is eighth in the league and expect the points added up or drop back. 11th in success rate, sixth in explosive play rate. And critically, like a lot of the McVay stuff is what's going on. Great here, right? They're, they're, they stole some of the Dolphins motion and they're using that in creative ways. Tutu Atwell, who like they could not get Tutu Atwell started the first couple years of his career. He's finally hit for them. Right. And that was a big like Sean McVay pick like speed threat. We're going to start to kind of change the way that this offense works. He's had 119, 77, 50 and 24 yards in four games, which 24 yards, is not a big deal. Those other three game uh, marks are like all career bests for, for Tutu Atwell. He's had as good of a start of the season you could ask for. Everybody knows Everything there is to know about Puka Nakua. Don't need to go into him that much. Kyron Williams, right? There's again, there's like a late round draft pick for them. He's been a bell cow back. Steve Avila, the second round pick at guard. Plug him in there. He's starting. Like the Rams young talent has picked up the, the bags that were dropped by the departing talent. And this offense works. Matthew Stafford, dude. Stafford looks healthy. Stafford looks like the guy we, we saw two seasons ago. Stafford looks like he can play a few more years. He's playing as well now as he has previously. Defensively. They're kind of still making everything up. That's how you give up a 23-point lead to the Indianapolis Colts, and it goes in overtime 23-23, and Stafford has to have heroics late to win it in overtime. But guess what? You still win that game, and it feels amazing. The locker room's going crazy, and they're chanting Puka Nakua, and you're giving a game ball to the rookie. The vibes around the around the Rams, like after that Cooper Cup injury in the, in the, uh, the preseason, man, the vibes around the Rams are terrifying. This team's going to walk out. They're going to be 0-4. The offensive line's going to break Matthew Stafford, and they're going to be left with, with no direction, no compass. No, it, it, it's a total waste. It could not possibly be further from the truth. I love the vibes around the Rams right now. It seems like Sean McVay has has reinvigorated this offense. The young talent has, has, has stepped up to the plate. And hey, guess what? 
They've got a first round pick in the 2024 NFL draft. Can you believe yeah, it? How about we it? Are, we, we out here making picks, <laughs> baby. We're going to get some more talent in the building. Um, I'm thrilled for the Rams. This this has been an awesome thing to see for, as a fan of Stafford, as a, as a fan of McVay's. Uh, this team's arrow is pointed up in a big way. Stafford's throw. I, I did not think Stafford would be able to throw the ball like this at 35 years old. If you would have told me Cooper Cup's going to be out for the first four weeks of the season and this team would be fourth in six offensive success rate, fifth in EPA for a top five offense by any metric you look at. I mean, they hung 467 yards and 27 first downs on the Colts on Sunday. So yeah, their offense really, you know, like they played against the Niners in week two. They were in that game uh, late. They had the weird game against the Bengals where their offensive line gets banged up in the middle of the game and they can't really protect Matthew Stafford. They were great in week one against the Seahawks. They were great here in week four against the Colts. Now, it is a long season, and Matthew Stafford did suffer what it looks like. I'm reading Jordan Rodriguez on The Athletic right now, uh, and it looks like he's expected to participate in some capacity in practice this week per Jordan uh, and play in Sunday's game. Now, we know Matthew Stafford mm-hmm. plays through, like, Everything. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I'm trying to think of quarterbacks who have played through more uh, in their, you know, in their careers than Matthew Stafford. Having said that, we'll see what it looks like. I mean, he literally like couldn't move on that leg for part of that second half. It really should not have gone to overtime. They were kind of just throwing away possessions there. He had a play where he's dropping back, and he literally like it looked like the leg gave out on him, and he just trips and kind of takes a sack there um, in the second half. Now you're right. He comes back. He makes plays in overtime throws to Puka Nakua for the game-winning touchdown. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be certainly something to keep an eye on. Is this an injury that all of a sudden we're having a conversation here in week eight, week nine? Oh man, it's a shame that that, you know, Matthew Stafford, kind of like what we're having with Burrow right now, that it's a shame that Matthew Stafford's injury has been lingering. They had such a great first four weeks. He hasn't looked the same since. So we'll see. I'm hoping like you are, that he's healthy, that he continues to play well. Cooper Cup coming back, going to practice uh, this week. So uh, I think you're right to to kind of shout out the Rams. I mean, it has been a very impressive start to their season, uh, specifically offensively, and to me, a very unexpected start to their season. All right, my second take, Benjamin. Uh, I want to welcome two coordinate coordinators to the More With Less Club. You've, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about it. If people listen to the show often, they're tired of hearing me talk about it when it comes right. to coach. Now, I might need you for like a good name for this. Is this like Club MWL? Is this the MWL? I, I don't know. There's got to be young minds at work uh, figuring I this am, out. I am positive I know who the two coordinators are. Okay. Uh, well, let me just explain the notion here. And okay. I, you know what? I'm going to say, like if I could bet on FanDuel that you're going to get them right, I think I would bet a lot of money because I yeah. do think you're you're, you're going to get them right. Now, for, for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, my, my basic premise when it comes to evaluating coaching is simple. Are you maximizing the talent at your disposal? I like to look at the players. I like to look at who's healthy. I like to look at how the pieces fit. Then in my mind, I go, well, how would this group look with, say, an Andy Reid or a Kyle Shanahan? What would they be getting out of them? What are you getting out of them? And then, you know, I might go, I'm not going to throw any, you know, bad coaches under the bus. But then I think to some bad coaches, what would this terrible coach be doing with this group? And where does the actual coach land? So I've got two coordinators who I think are unquestionably doing more with less through the first four weeks of the season. Uh, And I'm not going to give any more hints since Solak was so confident. And I'm confident in him. You know, he podcasts with me 17 hours a week. I think he should be able to get this. What do you got? Drew Petzing for the Cardinals. Correct! Bobby Slowick for the Texans. Correct! Yeah, boy! (laughs) Come on now! I'm like that pretty too. All right. Next week, I'm, I'm bring, coming to the table with some just more. Just come with a great picks. milk toast, yeah. like Patriots just take, got, just average no, I should, whatever. Yeah, Matt, yeah. No, it's Matt Canada and Bill O'Brien. You're yeah, incorrect. I just wanted to make you feel good. Um, just watching the games on Sunday, I was like, I couldn't believe my, I mean, Drew, let's start with Drew Petzig. Okay. Cardinals uh, offensive coordinators was with the Browns and Kevin Stefanski before that was with the Vikings. You say, Sheil, are you really like, gassing up this guy whose team scored 16 points, which they did. The Cardinals lost to the 49ers 35 to 16. However, if you watch that game, 
the Cardinals offense was keeping them in that game. That was the worst defensive performance by any team this season, according to EPA per drive. The Cardinals defense gave up five touchdowns on six possessions. The Cardinals offense only had the ball seven times, 23 first downs, 362 yards. This is with Josh Dobbs, James Conner, Hollywood Brown, Michael Wilson, Zach Ertz. This was a 21-16 game uh, in the third quarter here. Through four games, Ben, the Cardinals are eighth in EPA per drive. They're better than the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Lions. Now, stats don't tell you everything, but still, if you would have told me that with this group, that's going to be performing like a top 10 offense through the first four weeks of the season, I would have said it no way. I thought this was going to be the worst offense in the entire 100%. NFL. And you kind of just watch how they do it. Like you can tell it. I mean, they're scheming stuff up. They're using Dobbs as a runner. They're getting uh, creative here. And so uh, I think Petzig, who is somebody I knew nothing about, I still, you know, kind of know very little about, uh, is doing a phenomenal job. When uh, when Kevin Stefanski was hot in Cleveland, Petzing was hot. And then as is typically the case, when Stefanski grew cool, Petzing grew cool. But He's he's one he's another one in that long lineage of guys who got thrown to tight end coach so that way they could just learn off like run blocking and passing game, which is one of my mm. favorite things in the world. I want to do a story on it so badly. How anytime a guy is like really smart, like making the tight ends coach, that way he can help us out in both story. phases of the yeah. offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where Patsy came from. But yeah, I didn't I didn't have this in my uh in my range of outcomes for Drew, even though I kind of I knew the name. I didn't think we were getting this. So you got that. Then you got Bobby Slowick. Who again? Somebody I really don't know a lot about either. He came over with uh, D'Amico Ryan's from the 49ers, takes over Houston. The Texans, 451 yards and 24 first downs in that win against the Steelers. And this one is one of those where you just watch the game and you're like, "Oh, baby, he's scheming stuff up." I mean, their screen game is nice. Uh, their package play game is nice. Where you're seeing C.J. Stroud is under, and then he just bam takes it and throws the screen when the corner's off. You got that going there was a stretch in this game Ben where Steelers had a fourth and one disastrous play Kenny Pickett gets sacked I think it was the play where Kenny Pickett actually gets injured Texans get the ball back and they go half back pass for the touchdown and it was just like right there I'm just thinking what would Bobby Slowick be doing with the Steelers offense what would Matt Canada be doing Ooh. with this Texans Great offense question. I mean that that's how my mind thinks whenever I'm like, yeah, you, what do you, like, like if Bobby Slowick had the Steelers offense, they're at least a mediocre offense, right? Yeah, George, you're, you're putting George Pickens in, in the Nico Collins role. You're putting uh, 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 Calvin Austin into the Tank Dell role. Deontay Johnson, when he's healthy, is in the Robert, is in the, uh, the Robert Woods role. None of those are perfectly one-to-one. -one. It's great for yeah. George Pickens, right? Uh, uh, the, the blocking ability and then the catch run over the middle of the field, that 70-yard post that he housed a couple a couple weeks ago i think it was against the raiders uh that's the sort of route that nico collins is dominating on collins is fifth in the league right now in uh in, in in overall receiving yards calvin austin's not exactly tank dell but it's an 80 percent sort of a thing i'm fine with that and then pickett i don't know if pickett would be as good at the offense as stroud would that'd be the change yeah for me stroud's been a better player yeah, there's no doubt yeah. about it um but it it maps pretty nicely that's why I, my first thought was like ooh, like i kind of like that and then yeah matt canada were in charge of the texans he'd just be running uh, Nico Collins down the field on vertical routes and deep comebacks and have no idea how to maximize the guy. Yeah, I mean, the Texans right now are 13th in EPA per drive. And you might say 13th. Why are you bragging about this guy? With a rookie quarterback, with the offensive line injuries they've had, like Four that is five. not easy to do. Yeah, it's not easy to do. Uh, and you mentioned Nico Collins leads the NFL in yards after the catch, 195 yards. And like you mentioned, fifth in receiving yards here. So uh, I'm just very impressed with both these guys. Again, these are not household names. These are not guys that I really knew a lot about coming into the season, but I've been impressed with both of them. I'm trying to come up with what the rules are for this club, Ben. Like, should this, should there should, um, this is a probationary period. Like you don't get welcomed in and have like a lifetime um, membership to the more with less club. I think basically I can kick you out at any time, but for now, we welcome these two into the club. I think it's just like, you know, like it's like Shields Shack. It's like some sort of like, it's like, mm. it's like, like these are the guys that Shields identified. Like, they, they you know, this is uh, the X point taken listeners will come up with something better than Shields Shack. It sounds a little ominous, to be <laughs> honest. But they, these are the guys that we've identified as, hey, like these, these, these cats are it. Like, the, the, this is the guys Shields have his eyes on. And accordingly, in a year, they'll be household names. Or in a year, they'll be disasters, by the no. way, which I can't that believe, also by happens. the way, you, you dropped a. 
Nico Collins, Tank Dell. I know I didn't know anything about these guys. I tried okay, to tell you, okay. Shield. I tried. Okay, first. I tried. My Nico Collins preseason <laughs> uh, uh, stock just selling through the roof right now. I love it. Uh, I need to go back and listen to the specifics of that conversation. I did a rip you for the for saying the Texan supporting cast was good. I'm still not sure how good they are. Nico Collins has looked fantastic. If 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 you were on the record with that, then I will give you credit for that. But other than that, I'm still looking at it going, wow, they are doing more with less. That's why it's the more with less club. So nice job out of both those guys. All right. What do you have for your third take? Uh, Brock Purdy's playing well enough that the 49ers can win the Super Bowl. Uh, the question with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm of this offense every single year was, okay, like the Niners defense is great and the Niners weapons are great and the Niners running game is great and this Cal Shanahan is amazing. But can Jimmy do it? Can Jimmy get through three playoff games and 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 not be a, a problem for this team? Can they win it with Jimmy? And I was always, I was always like, yeah, maybe. Like uh, Jimmy was like right on the border for me of like, he's enough. But I, I don't like how I feel <laughs> watching him play in the Super Bowl. You know, uh, Brock, I, I. Um, I'm, I'm there where, where with how Brock's played to start this season. Um, and, and now we, we've seen it over the course of, of almost 10 or was it 11 starts now? I think it is. Uh, this is the, this is, is becoming really, really viable for me. Uh, Niners fans got pissed off at me, uh, cause I, I, uh, I said in my column this week that, uh, Brock Purdy's playing the best football of his career. He's still a Kyle Shanahan puppet. But he's turning down some of the mistakes. And they were like, wow, no credit for Brock. And I was like, I said he's playing the best football of his career, man. It's not my fault that this is how Kyle treats his quarterbacks. The 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 major thing to highlight for Brock uh, ending last season and moving into this season is this. Uh, he's continued to stay aggressive. In 2023, uh, he's had an average time to throw of 2.44 seconds through four games. That's below his average in 2022, which is 2.77. The thing that made Brock really noticeable and different in the 2022 season was that... Uh, he immediately walked in and was willing to be more of a gamer than Garoppolo was. He bra- he broke the pocket more. He scrambled more. He was more aggressive pushing downfield. After his first start against the Buccaneers last season, he had as many touchdowns throwing outside of the numbers 20 yards down the field than Jimmy had in like three years with the 49ers. Uh, Niners fans always like to to do this whole like, oh, people accuse Brock of being a checkdown merchant. I, I'm sure some people have like I at first I definitely thought he was just going to be like a Jimmy Garoppolo iteration but he really has never been that he's always been willing to push the ball down the field and be aggressive uh, and so you have uh to start this season now 2023 you have uh, uh they had uh he had four pass attempts of at least 20 plus yards against the the uh the Rams he had three pass attempts of at least uh 20 plus yards against the Giants against the Cardinals he had another uh, he had only one but it was a pretty easy game for him he's remained pushing the ball down the field but the time to throw has gone down so now we have a player who's retained the gamer aspect. He's retained the aggressive aspect while also speeding up his process within the offense, while also still like looking even a little bit more Shanahan-y and that he lands on the back foot and just drives this thing. So he was making a lot of these gamer plays in 2022, but you were worried about how that would process given the fact that he's like not a huge player and he's not a great tackle breaker and he's quick, but he's not really fast. Well, lo and behold, he's 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 done that important thing, kind of that Tua Tungavailoa-esque thing where he's, pushing the ball down the field while also dropping the time to throw. It's the unstoppable thing. Like when you can have a quarterback with a low time to throw and a high A dot, that's when you're pitching with just ultimate gas. Uh, and then, like I said in the article, he's pushing down, in my opinion, on the uh, the mistakes, right? He still throws an interceptable pass or two a game, but the, in, the, uh, the inaccuracy rate is down a little bit and the interceptable pass rate is also down so far to start this season. He seems like he's understanding a little bit better what he can and can't get away with, which totally makes sense for a guy who, like I said, hasn't even got a full season yet of starting games. Uh, Brock is emphatically better in this version of this offense than Jimmy was in his version. It's a little bit apples to oranges because like with Debo plus Ayuk plus McCaffrey, it's, it's even friendlier now than it was right. back in the day. Uh, so it is Apple's Orange is a little bit unfair to Jimmy. Um, but I feel stronger that Brock has the ability to create plays, win with aggressiveness, do a little bit more outside of structure in the system than Jimmy did. And that has me really believing, like, yeah, like, this guy can be enough that if the Niners end up in a Super Bowl run, I'll have the faith in him to, to make the plays that Jimmy wouldn't have made. I mean, their offense is just humming. Like, like for a 20 for 21 performance, I don't know that any could get, like, less pub than Brock. I mean, he went 20 for 21 in that game. Yeah. Like, wait, what? No, no, no. That's yeah. not something that happens. He had a completion percentage of over 95%. And in games in which a quarterback has at least 20 attempts and a completion percentage of at least 90%, Brock Purdy has the record for ADOT at 8.6 yards. 
So among games in which you had insanely high completion rate, no quarterback threw the ball downfield more in those games. You're just seeing like six yards, five yards, four yards. Brock threw it eight and a half yards out of the field. That's like an average to above average day for an NFL quarterback on any given Sunday. The, so the fact yeah. that they're, they're pulling off that level of completion while not sacrificing anything for aggressiveness is just, again, it's, it's the holy grail. If you can pull that off, you're unstoppable. Yeah, that was the best offensive performance by any team this season. Like I mentioned earlier, if you just look at the drives they had and what they did uh, with those drives, I mean, they, they they have looked like an unstoppable offense. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the, the mistake thing that you mentioned there, that's the one where if I'm like, all right, what's the thing I'm keeping an eye on that we could be having a different conversation four or five weeks from now? Like, there have been games here and there. I'm not saying it's every game. I'm not saying other quarterbacks don't have, you know, interceptable passes that aren't intercepted. I'm not saying that he's doing it 10 times a game or anything like that. But I think that's something at least worth keeping an eye on when he's, you know, facing great defenses, by the way. Huge matchup uh, this week, week five, 49ers-Cowboys. So we will learn something about both those teams in that game. But uh, yeah, I mean, the thing has always been, and I I know you're saying you kind of believe the ceiling is higher with Purdy than Garoppolo. I don't know that I view it as significantly different. I mean, I thought they could win a Super Bowl with Garoppolo. They were there. They were right there in the fourth quarter and didn't do it. I mean, the question, and I think 49ers fans feel one way and everybody else usually feels a different type of way. is just that, Like, is Brock Purdy a top five quarterback in the NFL? I think you and I would probably both say no. There's, yep. I, I could statistically, it's actually like very easy to make, but but you could do, could have done that with Garoppolo. And so my thing was always, well, can the offense perform at a top five level with this player at quarterback? And the answer was yes with Garoppolo. The answer is yes with Purdy. I agree with you that the offense in this stretch right now probably looks better uh, than it did at any point with Garoppolo. Now, like you said, is that because, well, they've got all these guys healthy. They've got McCaffrey. I don't know, but... Uh, you know, we probably like, there's probably just the Kyle Shanahan fatigue. And, you know, I'm generally part of the person saying I have Kyle Shanahan fatigue, but my goodness, like talk about him. I don't even know if he fits in the more with less coach because they're very talented, obviously, but still you're not operating with Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. And you have, you know, what the first or second best offense here uh, in the NFL. So uh, it's been impressive. Uh, Kyle Posey, who's a, uh, a writer for Niners nation uh, and, and is a good 49ers follow. He had uh, after the Steelers game, he had a great tweet where he was like, uh, Brock Purdy being a doubles hitter instead of a singles hitter is what's elevating this the Steelers offense. And mm. I really like the way that's framed, where, it, where like it's like that. Jimmy would just drop back and just take the singles, take the easy stuff, throw it to where Kyle told me to do. Brock's still doing that, but there's a little more zing on it, right? There's a little more, hey, like, yeah, like Debo's open on the drag, but you know who's also open on the post 20 yards down the field? Ayuk, and we're going to chuck this thing. Now, I mean, there's a play that like Niners Twitter's going nuts over that brought like this huge throw that he threw to IU double coverage on the middle of the field. That's just objectively an inaccurate throw and a bad decision. That like Niners fans are like, this is incredible. Brock's still getting away with stuff that he would not be able to get away with everywhere else. Ayuk, <laughs> by the way, talk about contract year. Ayuk's on pace for like 1,900 <laughs> yards right now. He is living. Ayuk's playing better ball than he's ever had. So they like the glut of weapons, the Kyle Shannon of everything, the fact that they can just hand the ball off and pick up five yards, like Brock gets away with a lot of stuff, but still, he's a doubles hitter instead of a singles hitter. And that elevation right there has me buying this more than I bought those Jimmy Garoppolo offenses. How do you keep track of what all these, like, like Niners Twitter's going nuts about this? Bears Twitter is saying this. Like, do you have a spreadsheet? Are you updating the daily? Or are you just scrolling? Like, what is happening? Here's what happens, Sheil. When, <laughs> when, when, when your policy isn't, let me go into my little hidey hole, not talk to anybody else who works at the ringer, and then pop out with my taste, which is how you oh, do it. What? Yes. How dare you? I'm Yo, a wonderful uh, colleague and teammate. Uh, uh, every, for, single for, Sunday, every single listen. Sunday, we get, we get to 12.59 p.m. Eastern, and Sheil goes, excellent, the football <laughs> games, and like powers off his phone, puts it in a drawer and shuts it, so you can like, pay attention to the games. What what happens, Shield? Me Thank and Steven. You. That's a compliment. Me and Steven <laughs> are just constantly sending clips and tweets back and forth. And I'm like, did you see this? No. Did you see that? Look at this. Look no. at that. And that you get you get the cross pollination of it all. Okay. Well, uh, I do do what you said. I actually put the phone face down there uh, on my table and I watch the games and I take my notes and I formulate my takes. Chill. So you got to get in the group chats, the buddy. Extra, no, no, no. The extra point taken listener. You're getting my stuff. Fresh. No one's seeing it on a text, on a Slack thread, anything like that. You're getting it 
before anybody else. I started tweeting about my extra point today. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I better stop. She'll make fun of me if he sees this. (laughs) That's right. See, good job out of you. All right. Take a break. I'll come back with my third take. All right, we are back on extra point taken. Now, I don't want you to take this as a shot. I've gotten 700 things wrong about the season. This is not a shot. I actually think this is something that we need to discuss. And yep. it's a Falcons take. I know and this the take is, is Well, I just, I just don't know how much long Arthur Smith can stick with Desmond Ritter here. I mean, you look at it. Some of the stuff was very troublesome in that Sunday morning London game. Not only Ritter's play, which has not been good at all. He's been, by any metric, uh, really one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, 33rd out of 34 in EPA per pass play. Uh, He was a disaster in that game against the Jaguars. He was a disaster the week before against the Lions. The offense, this is the most important thing. It kind of goes to that 49ers discussion. Like, we can deal with a quarterback who might not be playing at an elite level if the offense still works. And I think that's what a lot of people thought with this Falcons offense coming into the season, that Ritter, no one was saying really Ritter is going to be a great quarterback. It was that Ritter can be competent enough for this Falcons offense to work. And that was a reasonable take given what we saw last year with Marcus Mariota, but it hasn't worked this year. They're worst by any metric you want to look at. They've scored six and seven points in back-to-back games. Like if this was a thing on FanDuel before the season that this offense coordinated by Arthur Smith with Bijan Robinson being amazing and still have Kyle Pitts and Drake London, we're going to score six and seven points in back-to-back games. I mean, no one's making that bet. And so uh, I look at not only the way he played, but there was the little clip that got captured of like, him going up to Mac Hollins uh, on the sideline, you know, after he overthrows or I think underthrew him uh, on the mm-hmm. play there, goes up, tries to give him a high five, and Mac Hollins is just like not having it. So I'm looking at all this stuff together. And normally you would, uh, my take would be it's only four weeks, chill out. They're two and two. He's a young quarterback, give him time. But I also don't know exactly what the motives are for this Falcons team. Like, is it make the playoffs this year because we've been seven and 10 in back-to-back seasons. Because if that's like the number one objective, I can easily make a case that you, you give Taylor mm-hmm. Heineke a shot here. Is the is the goal develop Desmond Ritter? You want to know what he's he's got so that you have a better you know understanding of your quarterback situation at the end of the season? Then obviously that's different. Then we have your, one of my favorite takes of yours, which is that priority number one, for coach, I think you say it for GMs, but it, it's coaches As too, coaches right? too. Yeah. yeah, keep your job. Priority number one is also keep your job. Now, I think Arthur Smith is probably fine there. It seems like they like him. I think he's a good coach, but this would be three straight seasons without making the playoffs and they have no quarterback plan for the future. So I'm adding all those things up. We're only four games in. I don't know what the plan is, but I do feel like it's kind of reached a level of, I I don't know if panic is the right word. It's reached a heightened level of concern, maybe that I wasn't expecting this early in the season. So where are you with this Falcons team, with Desmond Ritter, and what Atlanta should do at quarterback? Yeah, Ritter's not playing well enough to keep the job. Like That's the long and the short of it. A lot of Ritter's issues on film for me are just he's, he's struggling so much with the pace of the game. And it's weird because it's not it's always that the game is too fast for him. Sometimes he's too fast for the game where like he's like, it, you know, it, it, it play action fake. And then there's there's a, a dig breaking uh, over the middle of the field. And if you just wait for the second window, like the, the, if just clear the linebacker, he's wide open. But Ritter's like, I, I got to get rid of this ball. Like this is when the ball's supposed to be out. So he just like tries to throw it right through the linebacker. It's like, dude, just you can actually slow down and be okay. So he's very erratic. And that's where you get like these underthrows, these overthrows. So often he's just not playing within like a comfortable rhythm. He's not uh, playing with a, a good base underneath him. He's, he's not playing with good eyes because his timing and his tempo is all off, which this offense stresses you out as a quarterback a lot in that regard, just because there's like a high variety of dropbacks, right? You're going from under center and it's five step. And then they have the rollout stuff and they have the nakeds. Like it's like a lot, in terms of timing and, and and landmarks, it's not like, you know, the offense the Bengals are running right now, which is like every have a shotgun, three-step drop. Like, you know, you're not even really thinking back there. Yeah. So it's a lot to put on a young guy. Um, but he, it's just, it's overwhelming him right now. The water's up to his neck. Now, this is why, like this, this, this exact stretch is why I was such a big proponent of starting him last year. It was that instead of London against the Jags being his eighth game, it could have been his 12th game. And I, I don't think his 12th game is going to be that much better than his eighth game. 
but it's more likely to be better than his eighth game, right? You're more likely to start to settle into a place because they're like, I, I, I was banging the drum for him last season because you, you wanted to get more experience under his belt for this season. You also wanted to have more to see at the end of last season, right? Again, if right. you had gotten eight starts out of him instead of four starts, so you, you had up to this Jaguars game of data, you probably would have thought a little bit more about your alternative quarterback options. And that's the thing with Arthur Smith's quarterback management that really interests me. Uh, Mariota got 12 games last season before he got the hook. Remember, the Falcons were down bouncing around 500 the entire season. They were bouncing around the division the entire season. We're four games into Desmond Ritter. They're bouncing around 500. They're, the Bucs are 3-1, and one, but they're still like right there for the division. From a, a game-to-game basis, Ritter's been about as bad as Mariota was, right? Like, like you know, you look at uh, expected points out of Worse, statistically, yeah. Yeah. If you look at, like, explosive play rate, expected points out of a dropback, Mariota's higher. If you look at, like, success rate, Ritter's a little bit better, whatever. What's the hook? What, when, when is the... What, what, oh, how, what's the approach here? Because is it... Are they going to go 12 games with Ritter, get stuck at... Five and seven, and then throw Taylor Heineken for the last four games trying to make a playoff push. Like, are they going to just make the same mistake? Because I think, like, even as a guy who really endorses Ritter, you probably need to figure out what you got in Heineke faster, so that if he's actually good enough to execute the offense here, you have a chance to to push for the playoffs. All of this is probably water under the bridge. They could bench Ritter tomorrow or bench him two months from now. They're still probably getting a different quarterback next year, if not like a Ryan Tannehill trade deadline acquisition this season, which I'm kind of interested in. Uh, so you're probably still going for a different quarterback. And that's where you bring up the, the keep the job uh, axiom, right? Uh, GM Terry Fontenot and, and, and head coach Arthur Smith have not yet done the big investment in one quarterback. And when you look at the history of coaches and general managers, typically they get one swing to really invest in a quarterback, talking like a, a pick in the first 16 picks of the draft. You don't do that in your first couple of years. You go for the, the, the Drake London selection, you go for the Bijan Robinson selection, that's fine. It's all well and good. But you paint yourself into a corner where it's like, all right, we now have to go make this selection. We now have to trade picks to go make this selection. We have to move resources to go make this selection when previously you might have been in a position to do so naturally. And that's where like you only get one crack at this. If you're going to delay it, okay, but you better get it right when you get it right. Otherwise, you know, your, your, your clock's going to expire pretty quick. From a personnel management perspective, they've painted themselves into a little bit of a corner, first with how they brought Ritter along and gave him the starting job, and then secondly with the fact that they're probably going to hang around 500 and not really necessarily be able to go get that premium pick without spending resources. I like Arthur Smith's offense. I like their scheme. I like their X's and O's. A lot of the other stuff that's happened in Atlanta, not a huge fan of. Yeah, I mean, even even the like little, you know, and I, I don't want to blow up the Matt Collins thing because I don't know. I haven't seen anyone write about it and tell me exactly what was happening there. But I did like there's a so difference. Collins was asked about it and he okay. did like a, he did like a what? And they were like, when you got like, yeah, like an emotional moment with Dez. And he was like, I had an emotional moment on the sideline with somebody, but it wasn't with Dez. And he was like, it uh, was a very, okay. it was a very like, oh, what? what? And I couldn't okay. tell if he was like, it, it, it's pretty good acting. If, yeah. if it's not, I, I think it's acting. But it was a little, a little ham on top. It was a little yeah. bit too much. Either way, Mac did a big like. Oh, I had an emotional moment, but I don't think it was with Des. And it's like, yeah, it probably was with Des, man. At the same, you know, regardless of what that was, like that's something to keep an eye on. When the quarterback's not playing well, and the rest of the team think they're playing well. By the way, if you're Kyle Pitts, you're probably tired of people being like you're not doing anything, and you were a top pick. If you're Drake London, you're saying I'm as good as some of these other wide receivers, but I don't have their quarterbacks. Um, so all these things add up. The defense has played actually better than I thought the defense was going to play. They're just kind of a, a weird team stuck in a weird place. They sign veteran defensive linemen. You think they want to make the playoffs. They signed Taylor Heineke to $7 million per year, which is a big number for a backup quarterback. They pass on all the, you know, they, they don't want to take a big swing on a quarterback in the draft. They immediately put their name out there when the Lamar stuff comes out that, no, we're not interested yet. Did you remember the Deshaun, the Deshaun Watson things, the only big quarterback they They've really been in on it seems like here in the past couple of years was uh was Deshaun Watson so uh I don't know what they're gonna do but certainly a situation worth monitoring like you mentioned it's the NFC South like other than uh you know my Carolina Panthers every team's gonna be in it probably for a while here so you can you're gonna be able to convince yourself of stuff even if your team's not playing great that you still have a shot so we'll see what happens there in Atlanta all right Benjamin what do you got for the extra point taken uh, yes, Sheil, welcome to spooky season, month of October. We mm. love it. Uh, okay. I know this as uh, the month of the NFL trade deadline, October 31st this year. 
I've always been a big trade deadline fan. Love some rumors, love some theories, love to build some trades. And then the trade deadline largely has been a disappointing uh, event. It hasn't reached the NBA trade deadline, not even close. Last season, man, after that deadline, I was like, this is it. This was the one to push us over the edge. And lo and behold, we get Christian McCaffrey to the Niners. Best offense in the league since the trade. Roquan Smith to the Ravens. Top five defense in the league since the trade. Chase Claypool, 32 overall into, we're not inviting him to hang out with the team anymore. I won't comment on why or where he is or who told him what, but he's not allowed to be here any longer. (laughs) Great trade. We had um, TJ Hawkinson. That was a big deal. A lot, right? Last year's trade deadline was amazing. So I'm already preparing. I'm envisioning. I'm getting prepped for this year's trade deadline. I want to, I want to, Toss some of my initial looks your way and get 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 a reaction, get a gauge, get a feel for some of them. See, this is why you're like a content king. October third, and we're doing this. I mean, we got to. I like it. Listen, I'll do trade talk uh, anytime. So go ahead, hit me with it. I like it. We want to be ahead of the other podcasts on this. We've got some one and three teams. We've got some zero and four teams, and yeah. we've got some clear contending teams that have some problems. Listen, I know for like. I know for a fact that the, the, the phone's already ringing. Teams are already trying to figure these things out. Okay. You want to have the structure of a deal in place in case, you know, the Raiders stay bad. And you're like, hey, remember last time we talked about Devontae Adams? Like, you, this is how you got to do it. So. Okay, hit me. My favorite one in the world is Pat Sertan to the Ravens. I know the Broncos have said they're not moving Pat Sertan. I don't care. Pat Sertan goes to the Ravens. I'm picking them for the Super Bowl. Devontae Adams. I had dropped on Twitter today. I was like, Devontae Adams, the Detroit Lion. And Packers fans hated it. So I feel great about that. I think Devontae uh, on Detroit, a little outside, inside with Yvonne Ross St. Brown. I think that's delightful. Another team that interests me for Devontae Adams is the Cowboys. Cowboys still have not really solved their wide receiver two problem just yet. Brandon Cook's not necessarily high volume. Michael Gallup, not 100% healthy. It's one to watch. Uh, Patriots. Patriots have got to be sellers, right? I mean, freaking, this is bad. Who are they selling? Kendrick Bourne. Okay. Got a decent right. cap hit. Don't really use him the way it needs to be used. I think Kendrick Bourne would be like a great chief. Chief needs a nice chiefs need a nice mm. little quarterback friendly wide receiver guy. Just move the sticks, kind of soothe the burn there while the young guys figure it out. Love that. And then uh, uh Michael and Wenu. I think Michael and Wenu, who's their that their their big starting guard. guard. They've had like a bit of like a weird relationship with him and in, in, in his play style, and they've made a ton of picks along the interior. I think he's a good candidate for the Ravens. Uh, I think that's that's one to watch out for. Great candidate for the Dolphins as well if the Patriots are willing to go intra-division, which I'm not sure they are. few more for you. Get a little spicier at the end. Uh, okay. Let's put Kyle Pitts in a Dolphins uniform. Oh, oh, come on. You 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 want you just want to see where Mike McDaniel lines the guy up. You just want to see where does he put him. Oh, I think it'd be, I'd be a thrill. Uh, Ryan Tannehill to the uh, to the Falcons. Kirk Cousins to the Jets. We've already discussed these. I think both of those make sense. And then last but not least, uh, T. Higgins. Rib fracture. This mm. Bengals offense isn't working. Contract year. They have to pay Jamar Chase. I don't I like they don't do contract extensions in season in Cincinnati. I don't know. If I were T. Higgins, I would start making a stink. I'll put it to you that way. Because I don't want to play out the rest of the season taking body shots, running five yard slants, and putting up no numbers in a contract year. That's not that's not for me. Whatever's happening for this offense right now, I'd like to be I would like to leave it a year early than I'm already planning on leaving it. Uh, I think T Higgins would be a good lion. I also think the Panthers, who are in the tra- who are in the uh, the news cycle today, saying we're in the trade market for a top wide receiver. A very funny thing to say for the team that just traded DJ Moore. <laughs> how curious! How interesting! I also think the Panthers are a team that makes sense for T Higgins as well. Those are some of my my early machinations on the trade market. Okay, I want to go over, go over. So I didn't want to interrupt you. You were on a roll. I like appreciate where you're on a roll. I didn't want to interrupt you. So I want to go through uh, some of these real quick because, you know, I wrote the trade value rankings for the ringer before the right. season. So I want to get some more use out of this bad We boy. are so, so well equipped for the deadline yeah. this year. If it's disappointing, so, oh, I'm going to be so sad. Oh, I've got, I've got compensation for all, the, all these guys. Okay. So uh, the most interesting, Pat, Pat Sertan now, what is the Broncos' motivation? Is just to to let's let's just see, like get a haul. Our roster stinks, and we need to get as much as we can. Because I had Pat Sertan as fourteen overall in my trade value column. It is rare for a defensive player to net multiple first round picks. Pat Sertan would absolutely, in my opinion, on the open yes. market, you're starting at a, with a package that includes two first. So round what's picks. what's the Broncos' motivation? 
allow me to take you to at psertan23 on Twitter. Patrick Uh-oh, Sertan. I didn't see this. Patrick Sertan, the senior, who tweets oh. uh, during the, the Broncos <laughs> Dolphins game. Uh, oh God, I missed toy- this. Toiling in the soil, exclamation bar, exclamation bar. <laughs> SMH2, Patrick Sertan wears two. You deserve better. Uh, so this is Patrick Sertan, who, by the way, uh, was hired as a defensive assistant with the Dolphins last season. He was working for the team in 2022. 23, watching his son give up 70 points, said, Tyler in the soil, you deserve better. So Sertan family gonna gonna get get the young man out of Denver. I think that's the move. I mean, Sertan is the type of player that rarely, like pretty much never gets traded. So that would be spicy if he were actually on the market. I mean, I, I think best or second best corner in the NFL, uh, 23 years I old. I would take on all of Russell Wilson's cap in order to get Patrick Sertan on my field. On my team. I'll trade you a seventh for Patrick Sertan and Russell Wilson. Deal? All right. So that's Patrick Sertan. They actually should trade Devontae Adams. I mean, that one is one yes. that like, no, no, this should actually happen. Like, you're going nowhere. Your team stinks. He doesn't want to be there. Go ahead and trade Devontae Adams. Now, Devontae Adams is uh, 30 years old. Uh, we know uh, what he what he netted there in that Packers trade. I think you're starting with at least a first-round pick. For Devontae Adams, when you just look at what wide receivers typically go for, and by the way, how freaking good Devontae Adams still is, like no signs of slowing down. Man, he's somebody who could almost like, you're talking about a guy who could like swing the league if, you know, if one of these teams gets Devontae Adams. Who did you have him going to? Detroit? I brought Detroit. Detroit. I, they're going to get Jameson Williams back, but still, like, I don't know how much you buy that. I like Um, that. And then also Dallas, where that, like, after the Amart, the Amari Cooper trade was it was was after that for for the Raiders to Dallas. Let's just go back to the well. Just just Jerry Jones and yeah. and, and the Davis family, two old pals, just shooting it up, yeah, shooting the breeze, trading star wide receivers to make the Cowboys better. Why not? Let's do it. I mean, really, the Chiefs should be trading for Devontae Adams. Interdivision, so it's tough. Yeah, interdivision. What? But what are the Raiders like? What do you care? If I mean, I guess you do. I, I know the rivalry runs deep, but it's like who's going to give me the most stuff uh, for this guy? All right, I like Adams a lot. Is it an interdivision trade or is it an intradivision trade? Uh, you're actually you think I'm going to know the answer to that? So if you inter- don't know the so answer like, to that, so like international means between two nations, and okay. intranational means within the nation within. I think it's within. So, I think so it's, it's intra-divisional. Intra the NFC, AFC versus West. Versus if it was Devontae to the Lions, it would be interdivisional. But also everybody says interdivisional and I don't feel like being out on a limb with intra. So this is just, this, this is my internal conflict being voiced right now. Okay. These are the things I worry mm-hmm. about. There you go. All right. Who, who else did we have other than Devontae? Who was after Devontae Adams? Was there one more who caught my attention there? Yeah, so like uh, I had Michael Wenu, Kendrick Bourne. Uh, okay, like those yeah, are kind of yeah. like more brass Those are on the list. Kyle yeah. Pitts to the Dolphins. Yeah, it doesn't do I, it for you. We, I feel like we could find a better home for Kyle Pitts, where he's going to get a lot of target. Not that that not no, no oh. not okay. Saw your face, great <laughs> offense, but you're you're what the third most targeted guy there. Like there are some teams yeah, that could just but feed your targets Kyle Pitts. are going to be so cool. All um, touchdowns. I, I yeah, got a lot of right. Kyle Pitts to the Chiefs, and I get it because like Travis Kelsey plus Kyle Pitts is hilarious. But I yeah, yeah I think target distribution wise, it's weird. I don't think Kyle Pitts should be expected to be a high volume guy at any spot right now. Like he's just he's the yeesh. The, no, but like <laughs> like look at the model. Tough. No, but like look at the model of high value receiving tight ends. Right, it's Travis Kelsey's and Mark Andrews. It's it's guys who are like six four and they're two forty and they're two forty five and and but they're 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 built like burly, right? Like, like that's probably the wrong, the wrong weight for those guys. They're probably thicker mm-hmm. and denser uh, as 255, 260. And, and, and it's, and they're being used more like these, again, these high volume guys, more in the short intermediate area. It's quick breaking routes, quick turnaround routes and sit within zone pits. You want to legitimately like stretch the field. You want to send this guy downfield. He's at his best when he's running away from dudes. So that usage is just, it's not like, it's what the giants tried to do with Evan Ingram before the Jaguars figured out Evan Ingram. And so it, it's, it's harder to achieve from the tight end position. So I don't think he's a high volume guy. And that's why I want him in Miami because you, you, you're just hitting teams with Tyreek and you're hitting teams with Waddle. And then all of a sudden you get Kyle Pitts on the wheel and they're not ready for it. And it's Kyle Pitts racing a four, six safety. Mm, I want to see it. All right. That's pretty fun. Uh, T Higgins, I think maybe your most interesting one, depending on how like the next two weeks here go. 
for right. the Cincinnati Bengals. He said he might uh, tough it out and play in week five with a broken rib, which... Unbelievable. Oof. How do you do that? Yeah, fractured rib. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this ESPN article right now. Might try to play with broken rib. Now, if they lose these next two games and you're one and five and maybe they're just like, we're going to shut down Burrow for a little bit. We tried to have him battle through. It didn't work out. This is a lost season. And you think you're not going to be able to sign him then I think that's something if you're Cincinnati, you say, all right, who wants to give something up for this guy if he's healthy in a couple weeks? Uh, and yeah, I, like Carolina was a good one. I mean, it's just, what what is a team going to give up for T. Higgins knowing that he's a free agent at the end of the season? Like you would almost have to uh, either uh, be able to sign him to an extension right away or be willing to live with that if you're a contending team who are like, we just want to win the Super Bowl and we don't care after that. The Vikings traded like a second and a third for TJ Hawkinson on a contract yeah. year and then gave him a very large contract, which is not yeah. necessarily good business. So yeah, like the contract year makes it more challenging, but it's also why you move him if you're the Bengals, right? Because I, I know the Bengals want Teagans back in 24 and they're going to try to make it work and it's probably doable, but it costs a lot in terms of your cap. And I think that if a team comes in and says, hey, instead of waiting for a third round comp pick, maybe do you want two seconds. And like to me, like that's not a bad deal for T Higgins at all. Like the Bears traded the first overall pick for DJ Moore. And obviously, they got more stuff back. John Mack can do two twos for a player who's better at wide receiver than DJ Moore. Like, yeah, I'm gonna take that. Chase Claypool got the, I mean, we didn't know it was going to be the 32nd selection. overall pick, but we knew it was going to be a number two. Yeah, so that's what you're starting. They with. knew they were trading their own pick and they knew yeah. what they were doing on the football field. So they knew. Yeah. That's true. All right. Higgins is a good one. All right. I think we hit on all the uh, big ones there. The quarterbacks are tough. I mean, Tannehill, they might be in the mix. So I don't know that they're going to be motivated to do something like that. Vikings win a game this last week. They might think, all right, we're still in the mix here. Uh, And finish it with, I saw the text from uh, Mama Solak. Where is Mama Solak on the, I'm excited to watch Zach Wilson's next game uh, meter. 10 being, I'm all in on him being back. One being probably where you are that I'm not buying it at all. It was only one game. My mom's just really mad at me that I won't text her and be like, Zach Wilson looked great last night, which that was the best Zach Wilson's looked in ages. But I'm not going to give her the he satisfaction. He played really well. I'm yeah. not going to. I said it on the pod. I, 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 I said it somewhere. Where did I say it? Oh, in the column. Um, but I'm not going to text her that. That's what she wants from me. I'm going to make her keep on you know, bothering me about it. Um, Zach played well, but Zach, Zach played well in the way that like poor quarterbacks tend to play well, where they just like, throw some back shoulder stuff, throw some tight window stuff, and the receivers make them right. I need to see Zach play that game 15 more times before I'm like, oh, we got something here. You know, like that's, it's going to take a lot to move the needle for me on Zach Wilson. Enjoy it, Jets fans. He gave you something. There was a, it it ended poorly. Hang the bear. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? He, He gave you a night of entertaining football, if nothing else. All right. I think that'll do it for extra point and taking Solak taking us to the we're listen we're going to be doing like 17 trade deadline things in the weeks ahead so don't worry that's just the start we'll build off of what Solak had right there all right thank you to Christopher Sutton for producing thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for the video production you can find all that on the ringer NFL feeds on Solex TikTok, on my Instagram, whatever. Uh, additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. The next episode will be dual threat with Nora and Steven. And then Solek and I will be back on Friday to preview week five. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening and have a great week. We'll talk to you on Friday. must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. 
visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 